about you, John? What's that? 1982, how old were you? I wasn't alive. <laughs> 85, baby. Oh, gosh. Should I ask you? No, I, I don't care. I'm what were you doing in 1982? I was playing music and on the road. Well, that's a pretty good place to start. We're, we're actually rolling. Let's go with it, man. Welcome to Weekend Superstars. I'm John McHugh with my co-host, George Moulton. And we're here with the legendary Mr. Greg Austin. How you been, man? Good, John. Good evening to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, man. So you just finished a gig over at Twisted Court. How'd it go? It was wonderful. Um, I love that place. I know. You've been there for a couple of years on Monday nights, on Mondays, right? Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know. It's got it's got something that I like. It, it, it seats about twenty people, and but everybody's very nice. And uh, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just really like it, and I love Prentice and Mama Sue. They're the owners, and they run the place. Very cool spot. You all been there, I'm sure. Yeah, the, I don't yeah. know if George I've has. I've not been. I've not been in it. I, I get to be in, but, but know, I played like, it with you. Like you were talking about, it, it makes a big difference, man. When you're playing somewhere where you like the people mm -hmm. that run the place and it, it, you feel comfortable there, you feel at home there instead of just like you're going in to do a, a job or a gig. Yeah. It's just like somewhere you enjoy going. Amen. Uh, you know, it's like you'd almost play it for free, but we won't. <laughs> we can't make a living doing no, that. But the people make a big difference. It doesn't matter. Like, all three of us have played as long as we have. I know we've all played to thousands of people, and we've played to four people, and sometimes the four people are a blast. Oh, just depending on the night, they might turn your whole night around just because those oh, four yeah. people were a blast to play to and actually appreciated what you were doing. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Yeah, it, it's uh, when you boil it down, it, it's, it's, it's just about the music you're doing. If you love what you're doing, you're having fun doing it, mm -hmm. and that makes the world. Oh, and, gosh. You know, we all know sometimes, like John was saying, especially as long as we've all been doing it, sometimes you don't have fun doing it. Sometimes you get burnt out and you just want to be home. And Don't but, tell anybody. <laughs> but there's other times. So, hey, I'm going to get this started out with, with a quick story. All right, yeah. Right? So, we came back, my wife and I came back from Nashville in, in 2007. And it was shortly after that, I got a call from a guy that, Personally, I never expected to get a call from him to ask me to come play his place, and it was Larry Redman. So, of course, I, I agreed, you know, I went down, Greg was playing, and I was playing, and Larry was playing. Well, well he's was, another one we're going to have to have on the show. Yeah, absolutely, sure. absolutely. That might be a, a three-parter X-rated <laughs> show. Either way, so I went in and, uh, you know, got there before everything started. Greg goes up. I'm sitting there listening to him, and I'm like, damn, what am I going to play? Greg's playing all the songs I had picked out to play. <laughs> you know, Larry's like, don't worry about it. They won't care. They won't care. <laughs> and he was right. I went up and played the same thing Greg played, and then Larry came behind me and played the same thing both of us played, and they, they, they'd sing it all over again. And that, that reminds me, too, of when you play what we call standards yeah. in a bar, they haven't really changed in decades every now and then somebody might be forced to play a top 40 song or whatever but everyone's still playing <laughs> i said some people Greg, not, not you but you got your waylon and willie and your your hank all those haven't changed and mm -hmm. they still work you know why 
because they were good. They were a great song. Yeah. That's why. Exactly. And a great song. And that's why they probably didn't care that three acts in the same night played the same mm-hmm. song. Yes. And yeah. I bet you they sang along to every one of them. All yeah. three of us, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, just, it just kept right on rolling. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a cool time. It's, that's probably my biggest regret in, in my music is deciding to leave there and go somewhere else and put a band back together. I should have stayed right there where I was at for that time period. <laughs> well, it, you know what, Larry? Larry told me back in the 70s, he said, because I was just putting my first band together, and he said, uh, man, you ought to just play a single. You'll, you'll, you'll get rich, and you pay, you pay your guys too much anyway. I've I paid the guys. Anyway, so he told you the same thing, or you wish you'd have done the same thing, but uh, he, he was right. But, you know, you always think, I always thought that just around the corner, somebody do one of my songs or this or that. And, uh, yeah. Whereas you... You're my hero because they do record nah. your songs. Well, uh, just 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 a couple of people. Well, by golly, the rest of your life you will be get. Hello, young lady. Hello. Welcome, I'll take Stacey. A, uh, I'll take an iced tea, please, and uh, these guys will have uh, cognac. Okay. Cognac. <laughs> well, hold we're, on, let me not spill this on <laughs> We're joined here by the the lovely Mrs. Greg Austin. Well, Stacy is my favorite as far as going to any show and seeing a cheerleader to her husband. I mean, oh yeah, she's always there. I don't know how many times have you heard the same songs over and over again and you clap and sing along like, like you've never yeah. heard them before. And that means the world watching you in the audience when I go to see Greg. Now, how many times have I told you that and you say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. John just explained <laughs> what I explained to you. It's true. You have, but I always tell Greg, I said, well, I have so much fun, I can't control myself. But if it helps, if it helps the show, that makes it even better. Yeah, that's right. That's Absolutely. why I call you the biggest cheerleader in town. Amen. That's great. Oh, I'm good. Thank you. All right, Greg. So, you, you just mentioned talking, uh, having a conversation with, with Redmond in the '70s. Mm-hmm. So, when did Greg Austin's official music career begin? You mean actually getting paid for it and everything? Yeah, actually getting paid for it. Yeah, I remember back in the dorm at Auburn, I would all I knew was like my girl, boom, 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 boom. You know, yeah, that was, yeah. That's about all I could play. But um, well, no, I could play GCD and E minor. But anyway, '73 uh, we started getting paid. Uh, I was with Mark Dennis, Mike Shackelford, Paul Settles, Doug Boggs, and Steve Mickey, banjo player, really good. I think that was all of us. And we got paid in beer, and that's my first paying gig. That was in 73, I think. A lot of us got started out that way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us just wanted that to begin with. <laughs> For a long time, probably, actually. So, right, I'm, we're going to go back even further. I, I think I know the answer to some of these questions, but I'm going to ask you just because a lot of people listening might not. Mm-hmm. As a kid, growing up, did you always want to play music, and, and who were the mm-hmm. people that inspired you that, that really got you going and wanted, wanted you to be an artist? Right. Um, well, I grew up just me and my mom, and uh, my father, who played guitar, thought he was Johnny Cash. He wasn't. But, uh, you have to remember now, I grew up in the folk scare days, you right. know, back in the right. 60s. And, uh, um. I've got every Kingston Trio album and every Peter, Paul, and Mary and 
stuff like that. And uh, a lot of Merle Haggard in the very early days. Yeah. I don't know, what year was his first album? Do you remember? Merle? Yeah. I'm going to say probably, and I'm just guessing, but I'm going to say 66, 67, somewhere in that area. Yeah. yeah. But for some reason, I always knew I was going to play music. I don't know why or how, because I, I was as good at six years old as I was at 30 playing guitar. And, uh, I'm with you, brother. I'm you know? with you. Yeah. <laughs> And you'd, you know, you'd have thought, well, golly, you've been playing all them years on Anyway. Well, that's just where we play the same songs yeah, over and over again. exactly. Now, some of your originals got some weird changes there. Well, that's because I wrote them with other people that knew how to play guitar. I don't believe that. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me. I, for those who are listening that don't know, I, I'm the youngest in, in the trio here. Um when I was growing Thanks, up, buddy. I'm not throwing you on the spot or anything, but this this relates to the story is when I was growing up, my dad was coming up to Lexington to see all these, the whole music yeah. scene. I mean, yeah. he, and he just loved live music. And every now and then, he'd come home with either cassette recordings that he'd done from the board, or he just actually had a recording in the house of the club. But I found in his record collection a Greg Austin record when I was maybe a teenager yeah you hadn't started playing Austin City yet so that's when I actually met Greg is when you started playing okay. there but I knew the name because I had it was the the black album the Greg Austin band mm -hmm. self-titled album yeah. oh JP did that the JP produced yeah, yeah. and uh, my first thought was he's, he has to be famous because <laughs> he's, he's got a record you know <laughs> yeah. Boy, because yeah. Now, in, now anybody can make a record in right, the basement, right. but at the time that no, was foreign to me. Did, yeah. If yeah. you had a record, you were the shit. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you were big time. And yeah. so, <laughs> when you first played Austin City, Greg was opening for you, doing a little solo thing yeah. beforehand. And I'm sitting here thinking, this can't be the same guy. I was like, this is ass back. I was like, yeah. I was like, this guy is huge. You know, yeah. why? Why is he up here by himself? And I, I was ignorant, you know, to, to what it took, you know. Right. But to me, this guy had an album, and all I wanted was to get him to sign it, which he did sign that, by the way, years later. Thank you for that. Yes. And he ended up giving me all the rest of his albums, too, which I thank you for that, too. But it just blows my mind that nowadays anybody can do that, and mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. When you cut your first record, how did you go about doing that? Because... It had to. It wasn't easy, right? No, it wasn't. And it wasn't a normal thing for a local band to do that at that time either. Well, I've been on the road for many years with uh, Pat Horine and Nick Nick Howe, and we were a folk group, played... It was a half comedy, half folk music thing, and, and Pat had been in the Kingston Trio, the third uh, conglomeration of the trio, and uh, so I'd learned a lot of stuff from them, and we did three or four albums. So I kind of knew what the procedure was, but you had to have money. And the first album I did was at Limco in uh, uh, 79, I guess, 78. And uh, you just paid the guy a bunch of money and went in there in three or four days and did it. That's all I remember about it. I know the one that you're talking about, the Black Album, that ended up costing, we had a production or a producer that, that time in the, it cost them a lot of money, I know that. Explain to our listeners what Limco is. It was uh, 
Was it your only option in town at that time? Yes. Well, the only option I knew uh, was over in, in um, I can't remember his name, that gone. But it's basically in a garage, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. But and it was a lot a lot of uh, a lot of big names even rolled through them code. Oh yeah. Sure did. And um, a lot of people this town is has a lot of great pickers and writers and stuff, more than most other towns, I think. And the one, the black album you were talking about, we had Kenny Rogers, piano player, and everybody, JP knew all these people and had a bunch of fancy people on it. And, uh, I, I don't record very well, but uh, I'm still proud of that one. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, you know, it wasn't the norm. You ended up doing several albums, mm-hmm. and that was just something, as a kid, that was the world like this guy mm-hmm. is you thought made, I was big time you, you were big time you know if you had a record and you also like he said you had to have the money you had to have the talent now just about anybody can do that and it doesn't mean as much at least to me and from my eyes it doesn't mean as much um, uh, yeah if you just do it in your basement that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways they're talking about this golf thing this LIV golf thing you know well, why practice? Why getting better if they're going to pay you a, a, a quarter of a million just to show up? You know, really? <laughs> right, right, right. And so it, it yeah. kind of applies to music, too. If, you know, there's, in my opinion, there's not anybody that sings any better than this man. And uh, Who, me? Yes, John. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, uh, we talked about this, so I'm, I'm going to throw this in there because Greg was a pioneer in, in this, too. And when I first came up this way in late 99 early 2000 the the setup in in all the clubs around town were house bands mm-hmm. and it wasn't just you you couldn't just go in and say hey this is my band here's my tape I, I i'm gonna try to get a gig here you didn't have a prior if that house band was there and they were doing business then yeah. most likely your tape's gonna get you know either put up on a shelf and never listen to right. it you know it was tough to get in i mean you had you had uh you had Lanny Murphy and those guys over at the boardwalk. They were still playing. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, we're going to knock Lanny out of his spot. There. Right. You know, and Austin said he was rocking. They were doing great. You mm-hmm. know, you had Alfred over at Cadillac Ranch, mm-hmm. all those people around. And, but you're the guy that they actually named the, the friggin' bar after. Mm-hmm. And uh, that actually brought me, you know, my biggest heyday was at that, at that spot as well. What year did you start there? It, it was 2000 before I ever started there as a as a full time, and we were just doing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But back in your day, y'all were doing what six, six seven days a week, six nights. Yes. Back in those days, Sundays were you couldn't work anywhere on Sundays. Uh, you just couldn't buy any liquor on Sundays. But uh, we had it made because I booked that room. So if I had, we used to do this tour. We'd go up the East Coast, come back to Austin City, play a month there, go to Texas, play a month there, come back. You know. And it was, yeah. I had it made, and, um, I mean, unfortunately, so, you don't have it, everybody didn't have it that good, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. So, my 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 personal opinion, uh, I think at some point, I would, I would love to see things kind of come full circle and, and kind of go back to that realm. You know, you always want to. You always want the ability to say, "Hey, we're a little burnt out. We need a, we need a, a month out of here to go do something mm-hmm. else or whatever." But just to me, I always thought 
if you sit down on Friday or Saturday night and you're just you're just a guy or the gal going to the clubs or whatever, and like John was saying the other day, depending on what you wanted to hear, you knew exactly where to go. You didn't walk in somewhere and get surprised like, you know, you go to this club that, that they had country on Thursday night and tonight it's, it's, it's you know, R&B or rap or something. You know the guy, you know the band, you know, if you want right. to hear them, that's where you're going to be. If you don't want to hear them, and when the band couldn't draw people in anymore, then they found somebody else yep. that could. So, you know, nowadays it's like, if, if the club's running music three or four nights a week, they got three or four different acts a week in mm-hmm. there. Yep. And, and the bar across the street has the same acts. Yeah, and every bar in town <laughs> just flip them acts back and forth. Right, it's the yep. same people everywhere, every weekend, just at a different place. Right. So I, I think it's taken some of the, the specialness away from it. Oh, I agree totally. I, I think it's hurt the the music scene, mm-hmm. just in my opinion. And uh, the competition level, yeah, has gone out the window because. Mm-hmm. Not not saying that you shouldn't be friends with the other musicians. But Obviously, we are. Right. But there should be an element of competition. And with the house band, that makes it, you have to earn that spot. And you have to be on top of your game yeah. to keep that spot. And it kind of weeded out the amateurs. Yeah. yeah. I, that is so true. And let me tell you, early on when I... I'd, I'd met George, and I, I would come out to see him as much as I could. But like you said earlier, when you know if you're working, we never get to see each other. But every time I would see George, he inspired me so much. I would end up writing the whole night. I'd get home, Stacy can. I, I would write <clears> the whole night, and the next day I'd get so energized and so um, whatever the word is. I, I just wanted to write you. You inspired me, man. And even old guys need inspiration. And uh, absolutely, I mean this this guy right here did it for me. I mean, just just the fact of having uh, somebody to get me out of my my comfort zone, get me yeah. out. Of, you know, I, I'm old. I've done it this way forever. I'm just gonna keep doing it this way. You know, right. blah, blah, he was ready to quit when I first started to play. Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just burnt out and all this kind of stuff. And and you know, having somebody that I, number one that I know, I love, and I trust. Right. But then somebody that's got the the the, uh, the youth on his side right. and, and a little bit different yeah. way of thinking than I do that could kind of, you know, somebody that could tell me something or, or, or at least offer up something that wouldn't either, you know, piss me off or make me mad or I'd just say, hey, you know, you know, whatever, you work for me, don't tell me what to do, you're right. fired, get out here. <laughs> but that, I know what exactly where you're coming from. It, it inspires you and it makes you want to do oh, yeah. different things and, uh, you know, on top of that, he's just a, a hell of a player too. Well, so, I mean. I have a story that relates to that. One night, um, I was playing with with Puddin's band at the time, and George had just opened his bar in Moorhead, mm-hmm. and he asked us to open for him. And of course, we're all great friends. Well, me and George are family, but we, we were all good friends in the bands. But on the way to Moorhead, Puddin and I sat, had a talk, and we're like, "Let's burn George's ass tonight. <laughs> we're we're we're, we're going to smoke him off the stage. <laughs> we're we're ready." We, we're at that point where we think we're ready. We, we can take George. We're going to take him down. You're kidding. And we put on one of the best shows we ever did. And as we're walking down the steps and George is walking up the steps, he goes, fuck you guys. I got to work hard tonight. And he sang better than I've ever heard him sing. But that's just fun competition, man. Because yeah, yeah. we went up and we did our thing and he took notice. That's cool. And he still smoked us. <laughs> oh yeah. 
But I had, I had. But he really wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. No, if I We hadn't no. done what we did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the big thing about it. I mean, it's, that's so. Cool. It's not that you don't love somebody. You know, I mean, there's a lot of you know, uh, whoever. I mean, in fact, we did the the, the deal with uh, Tyler Booth down in Manchester. I mean, I love that kid to death. He's mm-hmm. one of the most. Uh, humble, respectful kids, mm-hmm. you know, that's just coming up in the business, doing great, and I wish the best for him, and, uh, you know, we went out there and we was going to open the show, but, you know, I told him, I said, man, I said, my intention is to go up there and just literally kick your ass, I mm-hmm. said, so you, you need to bring what you got to bring, but I think that's the way it should be every time, regardless mm-hmm. of who you're putting, I mean, in other words, you want to go do your very best show that you can do when you step up on right. the stage, regardless of who. You don't want to go up there and intentionally sound bad just so your buddy coming on after you sounds better. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, so, and that's, you know, that goes back to the, the, the house band thing, too. Man. Yeah. That's, that's, you, get, you get inspired. It's, yeah. it's healthy competition. It's friendly competition. It's just like, I think... I probably, we probably had this conversation one of the first times I ever met you. I think we, we played some kind of deal down at the Blue Moon one time before the Blue Moon was mm-hmm. gone. And I think we had this, this deal where, you know, <clears throat> a good, healthy competition, but also the the, the means and, and, you know, helping each other out when you can help each other out mm-hmm. and, and not trying to step on somebody else's neck to get to that next right. level. Yeah, I but, mean. I mean, hey, if you're, if you're rolling better... And you're doing better, or somebody's rolling better than I am, and they're doing better, and they deserve that spot over me. Then, then take it. Amen. You know, uh, but and I think that's that's just the way it should be. But mm-hmm. everybody should remain cordial oh, yeah. and understand. Hey, we're all in this together. When it comes yeah. right down to it, we're just a great big family. But you know, we have to we have to be inspired, and we have to amen. Go out there and give it our best. That's one thing about this town that. Um, Sometimes it scares me, and sometimes I don't understand it. But uh, back when in the 70s, late 70s, uh, you know, it was uh, Doug and uh, and Larry and Richardson, Jim Richardson and uh, Lanny. And for some reason, everybody either had, you know, I love Larry Redman and you ain't worth shit. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And yeah. it was just a competition to beat Hill. And I, and I never felt that way. I never felt... I'm different than you all on that. I never felt like I had to bow up on anybody because I'm so insecure about it. I, could, I couldn't do any better than I, than I was doing because that's I always gave it 110. And I've I've been around this man, and you have too, John. When he wants to get after it, son, you, I mean, he's... Forget about <laughs> it. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, he's just the, the best there is. I mean... I agree. One night, where in the hell we were playing, I think it was Georgetown or something, and he, you all pulled out some of these... Man, I just couldn't believe it. I just wanted to throw down and go sit in the audience and start writing songs and stuff. But uh, I'll tell you a funny one, George. Uh, I, I grew up in a rock and roll family. Mm-hmm. I'm a Beatles and Stones guy. Mm-hmm. You know, the only country influence I have came from the Moulton side of the family. Mm-hmm. But when I was young and I'd go see whatever band George was in, that was the only time I was exposed to any of these songs. Oh wow! But George was already writing his own. So I just assumed that they were all George's songs because <laughs> I didn't know any better. And I didn't tell him any different no, for no. years. <laughs> and I would remember go to like high school parties, you know, and they'd, they'd pull out the keg and put on Hank Jr. Dinosaur. And I'm going, how do you all know George's songs? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time to catch up on the countryside. Though, John, I just assumed yeah. that 
he had them all, you know. That's great. <laughs> I bet Jordan's kind of strutting around, weren't he? <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, there was a, a, a friend of ours uh, back in the day in Austin City, and I, I, I'm going to screw up and, and not remember names, so I'm not even going to try. But it was the same kind of thing. I, we'd, I'd, you know, I, I'd like to do a lot of Conway stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in my shows. I mean, he's one of my heroes. But, and uh, <clears throat> it was the same deal. She, the, the Conway Twitty songs that I was doing, she was absolutely positive that they were songs that I'd written, and you know they were my songs. And so I let I let it go on for about six months, and just, oh yeah, I wrote that one when I was twelve, and this one, when I was, you know, <laughs> I finally told the truth about it. But hey, that's when you know you're doing something right mm-hmm. when you're doing other people's songs, mm-hmm. and it's not just so much that somebody's unfamiliar with it; it's just that. I've always looked at it as, you know, if you're going to do somebody else's songs, you need to try to find some way to make it your own. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Put your own little... 100%. Your little thing on it. I mean, you know, as a kid, uh, 14, 15, 16, all that stuff, if I'd seen a Conway Twitty song or a George Jones song or a Willie Nelson song, the only thing I thought of at that time is I wanted to sound just like Conway mm-hmm. or just like George or just like Willie. And it took me a long time to get to that point where I was like, you know, I want to sound like... George Moe. There you go. I want to sing that song, but I still want to, I want it to be my style right. and the way I right. go about doing it. Larry went through that, and I tried to talk to him. I said, Larry, be Larry Redman. Don't be Jimmy Buffett or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny, John. You know, the great, there's nobody on earth better than George, but his favorite guys, Conway, Roy Orbison, these great singers. My favorite guys were Chris Christopherson. John Trine, you know, bad singers pick, <laughs> pick Chris and stuff. Yeah. Great singers pick, you know, Roy Orbison and Conway yeah. Twitty, you know. You had to figure out how you were going to sing for four hours, so you went down that route. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, when I first, I mean, when I first came up here, like I say, it was late 99, early 2000. That's when I first met you. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's just the same, same thing that John was talking about. It. The, the name Greg Austin and what was going on up here and what had been going on up here wasn't lost on me even you know mm-hmm. in all of hill kentucky or you know and right. when i first started i went the opposite direction mm-hmm. i went to huntington west virginia mm-hmm. and iron ohio and i was playing those places so it was kind of the same for me and i i hope i did i think i told you this you know it was like i got to meet one of my heroes when i come up here and met greg for the first time just because i'd heard his music mm-hmm. i knew who he was you know uh That's I, awful nice. I probably wouldn't ever been able to see him on the street and, and go up and say hey that's Greg but I got to be in the music and it's like wow man this this is this is pretty cool stuff so I'm gonna switch gears completely on you we're gonna get out of music for a minute oh. let's talk some basketball let's talk Greg Austin the Auburn superstar here. yeah boy. <laughs> well, well um, I had a lot more offers to play football and baseball and even some track offers uh, matter of fact Humble man. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. I could have played any sport. <laughs> no, no, no. Tennis. I hope it did. Rugby. Polo. I hope I didn't come across that way. No, but, I'm just kidding. But, it is. I mean, hey, if it ain't bragging if it's a truth, brother. I remember. Now, this is a kind of a neat story. I thought uh, it was like April, and uh, Adolph Rupp called me right over us in that house right there. And you know, growing up in Kentucky, Adolph Rupp was. Oh yeah. I mean, my goodness. The Baron. Yeah. The man. 
and I'd met him before because his son was my junior, uh, my coach in high school for my sophomore and junior years. But um, so I'd met him, but he called me on the telephone. I couldn't believe he. He said, "Now uh, I'm in Florida buying heifers." I didn't know what the hell that was. But, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to everybody to think I'm a country boy, but I, that's where I grew up, right there. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, he said, "I'm buying some heifers down here in Florida." He said, now don't do anything so I get back. Don't sign with anybody. Yeah. And um, and I didn't, at the time, it's kind of, I don't even know how to explain it, but if you signed a basketball scholarship, you couldn't do something. But if you signed a football scholarship, you could play... Other sports. Uh, you know, it was weird. But, yeah. once, you couldn't, but anyway, he, I think, because Charlie Bradshaw really wanted me bad on the uh, UK football thing. And... Um, and I think Adolph just wanted me to sign a basketball scholarship so I could go play football because at the time that's the way it worked out. But uh, I bet I didn't have 15 offers to play basketball and I had 35 to play football. Wow. And um, So basketball is just, just what, that was your passion? Yeah, I, oh gosh, yeah, I just love basketball yeah. and uh, that's a, a sport you can play by yourself. I didn't need anybody else, and I was very, very withdrawn and quiet, and and whatever the word is, I just uh, was just real shy and withdrawn. So, you know, if I want to practice basketball, no problem. You know, yeah. get my ball yeah. and go somewhere. You know. Yeah. And uh, so I love basketball. I just loved everything about it. And uh, quick story. Uh, there were there was one black in the SEC at the time. Perry Wallace was at Vandy, and. Uh, the next year, they signed Payne at, uh, from Shawnee down in Louisville. He was a, a black basketball player. And, uh, but when I got to Auburn, they signed the first black athlete ever at Auburn, not, not necessarily basketball, any sport. Yeah. First black to ever walk in that <clears throat> dormitory, which I think is totally wrong, but this was back in 68 or wherever it was. And, um, and so they, I don't know why they thought I was a northerner compared to them. I was, you know, Kentucky. Right. Everybody. Right. Yeah. And so they put Henry and I together. Uh, and he, it, Henry was a great guy. He's passed away, but just a really great person. He grew up in a town called Utah, Alabama. E U T A W, Utah. Hmm. And um, went to Green County Green County Academy. Played basketball. Played for the Phoenix Suns when he left Auburn. Wow. Just a really good guy, and uh, we had so much fun. Uh, he liked to drink, and uh, so we had big time drinking, and uh, and he liked to chase the women. So he told me about uh, a lot of things. Of course, uh, that's that's something you you never did anything like that. No, 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 I did not. <laughs> and, uh, didn't partake. No, he talked fun. about sheep and cows and things. <laughs> heifers, heifers. There you go. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we had. What was I going to tell you about Henry? Henry was just a good guy. That's all I can say about Henry. And uh, I'll treasure his friendship. He he passed away way too young. And uh, they say that he committed suicide at the University of Minnesota. They found him at the... They say he jumped out of a 12-story dormitory. Wow. And I don't believe it. I think Henry had a propensity, if that's the word, to uh, for a white... Uh, he liked to date all all women, and uh, I think so. Somebody, he got him in some trouble. I think so. Yeah. Did did your uh, athletic career come to an end 
because of injuries or did you switch to music because you wanted to? Um, a little of both. I, somehow I always knew I'd be playing music and I don't know how because I was so shy I would never. <clears throat> I remember one of my worst times was the, they elected me captain of the first football game in high school and we had a big pep rally, you know, you're supposed to go and the captain's going to speak to you. And I just went something and walked away. I mean, I didn't say anything. And that's how shy I was. So that was going to be a trick how I was going to get in front of people. But I finally did it. And uh, even people now that I meet, you know, that are, that are my age, they say, you're doing what? And uh, you get in front of people and play and sing. Yes, I do. They couldn't believe it. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I've had three knee operations at the time. One, two, three. And uh, by the way, no brag, just fact, uh, going into my, after the basketball season, the track coach kind of took over our uh, training program. And I had a 4440, um, I don't know, 10 flat 100, something, uh, something like that. And the Dallas Cowboys started sending me letters because at the time they were sign signing a lot of uh, <clears throat> athletes to play defensive back and stuff like that. So I got two or three letters from the Cowboys and then uh, they took a look at my knees and they quit sending me letters. But, uh, wow. And, you know, in the old days, what what they did to me in, in 68, today, there would be a little bitty hole in my, in the, right where the meniscus is and uh, I'd be out walking the same day. And, you know, when, when they did this to me, I was two months in a cast. Wow. You know, it's just so yeah. different. You know, it's cr it's crazy how uh, it got how, a lot better. Well, I mean, you know, it's just uh, it, it's a matter of, of who's looking at you. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, when back I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, when I had my had the tractor deal fall on my foot, you mm -hmm. know, the first doctor that saw me at UK told my wife, you know, said, "Hey, look, he's one or two things are going to happen. He's going to lose his foot." Or at some point he's going to come back. He's going to be in so much pain he'll ask us to take his. Foot. Oh shit! And excuse my language. Nah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, you say, say whatever, whatever you want, want to. Here. And you know this 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 doctor was, and I'm not saying he was a, a, a bad doctor because of his age, but he was an older doctor that, that had been in it for a long time and maybe didn't realize or didn't see any other way around that. You know, within 45 minutes, this this guy come in and. You know, he was younger than I was. He's probably 35 years old, and he looks at me and he says, "I'm gonna put pins here and here, and I, I ain't made up my mind if I'm gonna put a plate in it or not." But you'll be walking like nothing ever happened to you in six months. Wow! And uh, took a little bit longer than six months, but but you know it was a whole lot better prognosis. So oh, just to show you that, yeah, from year to year, or you know even age to age, how doctors or anybody mm. anybody thinks, not just doctors, right? You yeah. know, all of us get old and set in our ways and think our ways are the best ways, and, and nobody oh, yeah. else can do it better. Right. But all right, you mentioned something earlier before we got on air that you said you want to talk about. If you still want to talk about that, oh, I see. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's important to me. Um, you know, we don't have to go into all the bad things that I did. But <laughs> say, say it ever how you want to say okay. it. Okay, well, I was um, I was not a good boy, and Stacy knows all this. And she's not uh, hearing anything new. I've told her everything. And uh, by the way, I just want to say this about her. You know, without her, I don't know where I'd be because 
especially when I got sober, she took care of me, and it wasn't a pretty sight for the first several months. And uh, like I said, she's a cheerleader, man. She is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? She has to take care of five kids over there. You know. Love's pretty powerful. Yeah, you did a great job. But uh, anyway, in the seven uh, in the seventies, I got back from Europe in seventy three or four, and um, I had I, I just started. To, to get on stage, I had to drink an awful lot. It got to the point where I had about a half a pint and about three to six Stroh's beers. That, that was my, to, to get on stage. Because get, of your shyness? Getting started point. Mostly? Yeah. Because what? Because you were shy, mostly? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought you said because you're sinus. Oh, no. <laughs> that, sometimes that works, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I was The pint would definitely clear the sinus. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, uh, but, yeah, that, uh, and then it became... A uh, pint and a half, and you know, and just kept going up and up. And I started falling into the the the, the started falling into the dance floor or where we were playing, and started falling into the drums. And that happened once every three months, and it happened once a month, and then once a week. And this was still in late 1990s or 1980s. That's how bad it was. And um, I remember one time we were playing in New Hampshire, and uh, they took all the they had they moved all the chairs and tables into the where the dance floor was you know i don't know if you ever did this george but after you know you say you're getting ready to take a break and you're playing and and the the band you know winding down this last song so you jump up you know and oh yeah yeah, the big ending big ending yeah well i landed on my sheet on my uh, song list and uh wearing my cowboy boots and i just went yeah you know my feet banana peel and i fell right off the stage and i was trying to catch myself and catch myself and there was a girl sitting right there, and my head ended up right there, <laughs> right in her crotch. And I, I didn't know what to do, and I just kind of raised my head and looked up, and she just smiled at me. <laughs> and anyway, that was uh, that was in the 1980s. But uh, yeah, I, I got sober October 1st, 2007, and I quit drinking, quit drugging, quit gambling. Um, and AA, a lot of people scoff at AA, and you know people can get sober without AA. There's no question about it. People do it every day. I, in, in my particular case, AA worked for me, and uh, I haven't missed a day in 15 years. I go to seven, eight meetings a week, and no, a lot of people don't have to do that, especially after several years of sobriety. They just they don't have to go to, but I need the meetings, and so I go to a lot of meetings, and uh, I'm proud of it. Stacy will tell me that she's proud of me, and that means a lot when uh, when she says she's proud of me because it, it takes, you know, it takes courage, man. It, it does. It takes a big man to do that. It Thank takes you. a big man, and it's also not just. I think any musician that's ever been on stage in front of people has that temptation. They don't all fall down that hole, right? But a lot of them do. And it's very easy to do that when you've got a packed house who you're, you're basically being paid to be the life of the party mm-hmm. and you're getting free drinks or somebody's bringing you a shot or I don't know how many times I've looked down at my feet at my guitar pedals and there's a line of shots there mm-hmm. and sometimes you just feel like you, mm-hmm. it, I mean it's sad to say this, but there's been times where I felt like I owed it to them you're mm-hmm. obligated to yeah. drink it. Mm-hmm. And to be able to overcome that 
drinking, drugs, whatever. But a lot of our friends have gone down that way, and I know that some some people are different about the you know anonymous thing. So I won't throw anybody under the bus. Mm-hmm. But we've got a lot of friends mm-hmm. who are doing oh, this, yeah. and you've been a big help to them as mm-hmm. well. I mean, I know one for sure, and uh, it's it's great to, to see you mm-hmm. be so proud of that. Yeah, it's something yeah. you I should mean, be proud of. Because it is hard. Yeah, it is. And, Especially uh, for people who, like us that have been doing this for decades. Right. Every single night. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing. Uh, I've talked to George before about his early days in Ohio and West Virginia. Um, he wasn't exactly a... Uh, Sunday school guy. <laughs> I, I wasn't for the first four or five years I was up here either. He still I mean, doesn't go to Sunday school, Greg. <laughs> but uh, we talked about that, and uh, he. And I'll, we, t- I'll tell you what I did, and what what got me was I never looked at it. I never I never thought that I had a problem, you know, as far as being shy or that I needed a drink to to uh, to get on stage. A, a big part of it was just uh, even getting started with it. To me, it was just kind of like, you know, it, it was stupidity to begin with because, you know, one of my heroes being George Jones. <laughs> I thought I, that's I, what you supposed I to do. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. I thought I was supposed to be, you know, just, just you know, at least I can say, I, I, as far as I can remember, I've showed up for all my shows. <laughs> they, may, they may have wished I hadn't have once I got there. But, you know, mine just took the... the, the the toll were to me while it was all really going on i was just partying and having a good time right. there was no issue there as far as right you know and even even when i'd wake up on sunday after the weekend was over and by four thirty five o'clock sunday evening i already drank another fifth of crown rule yeah. to me it was just you know it was yeah well you don't no, think no about worries, it you don't think you know? about it well, and, i did uh, you know mine just i got to the point where you know mine was just either cut that out and, and change up what I was doing or die so I mean I didn't, I didn't you know uh, I didn't have the 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 fortitude or the courage at the time to do what you'd done I just I had to get to the point where you know doctor came in and looked at me and said hey it's 50 50 buddy you might walk out of here and you might not I, well all we can do is what we're doing and the rest of it's you know pretty much in the Lord's hands so you know what's even what's even funnier is when you come to that realization, like I'm sure it crossed your mind when you decided to quit drinking, that you may not play shows. Oh gosh, yeah. Because how are you going to go in there oh, and do gosh. it without it? But then once you do that and you are sober, you realize you're not only doing an art form of music; you have a whole other art form of dealing with the drunks. Oh that, yeah. That wasn't yeah. that hard oh, when you were drunk. Oh, right, when you're sober, exactly. dealing with the other people is a whole other art form. That is a great point. <laughs> And whatever happens, don't erase that. That, that yeah. is so true, man. You have to learn how to do that. You and have it's to. difficult. And it, I'll you, never forget. It's so difficult. Go ahead. When you first got on stage after not drinking, you're like, I don't know. And I I said, Don't worry about a thing. You're the same up there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I said, yeah. Don't don't you are you. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I completely get it. I mean, I you know, I I, I laid I, I put the liquor away. You know, after after all that, and, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I've never had a drink of liquor since then. But it, it's not that was that was my go-to. That's what I drank every single day. Right. You know, on the fifth of day was just like that was just yeah. You know, that was like some normal people drinking two or three beers a day to me. Exactly. The weekends were a whole different story. I mean, it was just dead on party as hard. I mean, from the time you started playing till daylight the next morning, right. this person's house or that person's right. house. 
And, you know, once I got that out of my system, thankfully, you know, and I, and I stayed, I stayed, I didn't drink anything for eight months. And I, you know, I got to the point where I started having some beers and that, that's me today. I, mm-hmm. I'm a beer guy, I like my cold beer, but you know, there still comes a point just like, since we're all gonna be in, in this situation, like what you were talking about, I sent him, I sent my guys a message, you know, last week. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old and as Hank Jr. said, the hangovers hurt more than they yeah. used to. Oh yeah, and you know I, I've still got a, a nine-year-old boy that, that I gotta I gotta make sure grows up and I want to see grow up. And so I just told the guys, look, I said I'm not by no means saying I'm not ever gonna have a beer again or anything like this. I said, but I got to cut it out for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I just got to get off of it mm-hmm. and let my body, you know, just just heal up, lose mm-hmm. some of this weight, mm-hmm. just get back where I'm at. And that was the exact message I said. I'm going to try my best, guys, but I don't know how I'm going to do having to go into these honky-tonks and these bars every night and not drink. And then, you know, I'm one of those guys where there's a couple of three places that have always been like my my weak link, you know, where it's just like a, a lot of places I can go and not have any. Right. You know, Austin City's not one of those yeah. places. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like Friday night we played Chevy Chase, and this was my first weekend into the – I'm not going to drink anything, right. you know. So I went all week at home not drinking anything, which is, for me, is easy to do, you know. Yeah. I, oh, I'm yeah. not around it, nobody. And as soon as we walk into to CCI, I'm like, just the smell of it, I look at John and say, oh, man, I picked the wrong weekend to stop. <laughs> I, I'm going I'm to switch courses real quick here before we run out of time. But speaking of people who like to drink and a drug, Greg told me a story. We did a gig, I don't know, a month or so ago at the Campbell House, and uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about this story with John Belushi. Oh, yeah. oh wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes I feel, I don't know, somebody, it's hard to believe some of the stuff that we did, looking back on it now, how did we, how did we do these things, you know? We would, we'd do 14 straight days and drive for a day and a half and then do 14 more. But anyway, we used to play at the Lone Star Cafe in New York City. Uh, Doug Flynn got us in there the first time. And after that, I got to be friends with the uh, C-L-E-V-E. He was the the guy that booked the bands. Anyway, we we opened for Commander Cody and the Rocket something or others. And we opened up for... uh, uh, who's the Kung Fu guy? David Carradine. Oh, wow. He had just finished shooting that Arlo, not Arlo Guthrie, but the, the, the his daddy's, he did a movie about his daddy. Uh, but anyway, there was a bunch of other people. Um, at the time, we had uh, a production company called uh, William Morris Agency, which is really a big agency. Yeah. And uh, the, at the time, there was five uh uh, five newspapers in New York City and uh, of course that doesn't work these days but anyway every time we come to New York every every paper would have a story about us because that's what the company did you know yeah. that's what they did you know make sure they get but anyway so one time we were they told us uh, we were booked in uh, Lone Star for three for a weekend and uh, and uh, John Belushi opened up for us and it was it was wow. Dan it, it was Dan Aykroyd's brother, and I think his name was Pete Aykroyd, he played horns, 
and he had three horns. Belushi played drums, and I don't know who the front man was. I don't know the bass player, the guitar, anybody, but Belushi played drums, and the Ackroyd was in the horn section. Anyway, you know, we're all, you know, Belushi had been on uh, Saturday Night Live, and everybody, yeah. the crowd was going nuts, you know. And John Belushi, oh, that's the greatest thing in the world. Well, anyway, he wasn't a very good drummer. And, uh, <laughs> And it was getting real, it was, it was getting really, really drunk. And uh, we played at four o'clock in the morning, so you can imagine. Jeez. And uh, they got done around 11, 11.30. But anyway, the uh, Ackroyd says, okay, uh, uh, we're gonna do one more song and uh, John's gotta go, whatever. So John gets out behind the drums, grabs a guitar, turns, turns the amp all the way up and it starts hissing and humming and squealing and shit. He comes around, walks around, has a guitar, and he goes, bang, and, you know, he says, Hank Williams was a faggot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, you know, place went nuts. And, um, and so he, he did that. I mean, there was, no, there was no music. It just kind of just a bunch of crud. He kept saying that, Hank Williams yeah. was a faggot. Then he got him a beer, killed the beer, did one of these things where he smashed the beer right, on right, his head. the old animal house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he grabbed it and threw it. There, Lone Star, the whole backdrop was all glass mirrors. And he threw it up against the mirror behind him, dropped the guitar with the sound all the way up, you know, and volume all the way up. Ran off the stage, jumped in a limousine and just pulled up and was gone. And two weeks later, he was dead. Oh. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's just... Beyond, you've you've lived through some stuff, man. I'm telling you, that's we opened up for Gary Morris too, and I thought he was—he's the only guy I've ever known that could sing with George. Yeah, I mean, we're really with him, because he's, according to his manager, he can sing any song in any key. I don't know if I believe that or not. Does that make sense, George? I don't know about any key. I mean, you know, I—I've never been. I think people can get away with it. Some people can. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure, you know, obviously you're going to sing it better in some keys than you do others. Right. I mean, it just depends. Yeah. You know, uh, I've never been, personally myself, uh, you know, I, I stay probably in the same, you know, three or four keys, just about everything I do. Doesn't necessarily mean I, I, right. I couldn't yeah. sing in, in different keys. Yeah. I used to joke with John all the time, like, you know, what key you want to do it in? And I said, I don't give a yeah. Z flat, <laughs> you, know, you know. So I mean, but you know, there's some talented. I mean, Gary Morris was was a voice man. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I I've been on the the ever since this new movie came out. I've been on the Elvis kick again, mm-hmm. and that was one of the guys. You know, when I was a kid. Oh yeah. You know, that just inspired me, and I and I've been reading a lot of stuff, man, and just the the range that he actually had. Mm-hmm. You know. According to the actual people that played with him, yeah. you know, the great musicians and stuff he had. He had but, a good guitar player too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just just, just amazes me, you know. And uh, uh, it's just—I don't know if we ever really heard everything the man could do. Oh no. I think we got—I think we got shortchanged, you know, by him leaving us so early. Uh, you know, it was just. My my mom would tell me she's you know I'd come in your room and I'd, you'd have the Elvis records on you'd have your hair all slicked back and you'd have the <laughs> you know the hairbrush was your microphone mm-hmm. was in the mirror you know and uh, now my little boy's doing the same thing so mm-hmm. I'm turning him on to the same kind of stuff that I grew mm-hmm. up right. on you know I said 
you know, don't don't listen to this stuff you hear out there today. Let's let's, let's listen to some good music, you know. Oh yeah. And uh, so, you know, and and he knows who Greg Olson is already oh, too. Oh God, so, bless his heart. You know, he, oh. it was killing him. I won't go with you there, but it, it would have been the <laughs> Jacob Moten show if he'd have been over here tonight. So. We uh, we we got about ten minutes left, and uh, I've got two questions I'd like to end the show with, Greg. For somebody who has played all over the country. I like to call you the Sultan of New England, but, <laughs> but, uh, I've been called a lot worse than that. I'd like to know the coolest place that you've ever played. And if you could play anywhere in the world on your bucket list, what would it be? Hmm. Well, I've never thought about that. So I'll have to think a second, but in the seventies, I loved Texas. I wasn't, I didn't have my band, you know, I started playing with Nick and Pat in, in 74 and I was kind of, working my way out in like 78 79 so uh but i love texas um uh, i don't know my favorite place i played rough about five times so it's no that's no big deal but um uh for three governors we did the you know election day they have whatever you call that uh, when they come in to celebrate just a big yeah, party like the inaugural yeah no, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. thank you and um did that for Martha Lane twice, Lieutenant <clears throat> Go, and then uh, Wallace. Wallace really liked us, and uh, but I can't think of anything that would be my favorite. Uh, probably Twisted Court, and um, the other night was good a good answer. Good yeah, answer. I tell you, Way to keep that gig. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a raise. Yeah, no, I don't doubt that. But it was I cool. Take a moment to thank our sponsors, Twisted Court. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other night, uh, the Prentice told me that. Uh, I was, you know, I was playing, and you know, the, it's a drive-through liquor store. For you, for people who don't know, it's a drive-through liquor store with a bar with a stage, and this, and you could hear it going on. And the guy said, "Give me a six-pack of uh, Miller Light and a pint of Early Times." Is that Greg Austin singing <laughs> <laughs> through the drive-through window? Wow. I loved it, but uh, I, 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 that's a good question, John. If it, it, if we can do this again, I'll tell you. But I just oh, think I definitely it. think you might be a second yeah, or third time appearance. Yeah, there's going to have to be a part two or a part <laughs> well, three. There's so many things I'd, I'd like to talk to George about. But I wanted to know maybe quickly sure. what's the difference between Ironton, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky, or Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, I wow. mean that place. I've been through all those places. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Ironton was 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 a little bit different. Uh, I mean, it's, you're talking, you know, 30 years ago or whatever it was right. when I was up there. Uh, it was more, it was more spread out as far as where you could play. Okay. You know, you, when I came to Lexington, it was just like, you know, mm -hmm. there was, you know, we had Austin City where we was at, and you know, across the streets you mm -hmm. had Cadillac Ranch. You know, right. Oh yeah. More, you know, you had every place in the world. As far as the know. people go, I mean. Uh, people were. Uh, the only difference I would say that I noticed a big difference since coming up here. It is, you know, Lexington being a big college town. Mm, okay, and, when yeah. I, and when I first started, you know, uh, so we played Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Thursday was probably our biggest night, mm -hmm. and that was college night. Yeah, that was the right. night that all the college kids came out. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the only real difference, uh, except for the fact that up here I got to meet some, uh, you know, a lot of guys that were, were doing mm -hmm. the local rodeos and stuff right. like that. And, and uh, you know, just... I mean, I spent uh, 22 years up here now, so mm -hmm. you know it's it's just 
it's home anymore. Yeah. So, well, I didn't even think about that, but College Town makes a huge difference. And oh, well, we yeah. got three colleges here, or four. Uh, yeah, in town. See, when, when I started, the first gig I had up that direction was at uh, Ragtime Lounge, mm-hmm. and I was there was one band in there before. I got there, but they had followed her in right after Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you pull off the interstate, you see this big sign on the bar said, the house that Billy built. And uh, <laughs> it was about the size of this back porch for a second. It wasn't very big right. at all. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess we're at it, ain't we? We're, we're pretty close, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was, I'm was. i just curious, too, uh, if there was a place... Um, on your bucket list of anywhere in the world. I got where, oh, you, where your favorite place was to play, but. I gotta tell you this one quick story. We were playing in Davenport, Iowa, and I thought Iowa, you know, it's cornfield and nice country people, farmers and stuff. Never seen so many hookers, <laughs> bookies. I mean, in Davenport, it's called the Quad Cities. There's, there's Davenport and another one on the Iowa side, and then there's Rock Island and something on the Illinois side. But it was unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And stayed in a place called the Tall Corn Inn. And uh, <laughs> the Tall Corn Inn, the first night I was there, was, the snow blew in under the wall, the front wall. And I, the next day, I took my credit card and went to a Holiday Inn. I said, Dude, <laughs> Wow, no way. But well, man, uh, we ain't going to keep you, but I want to thank you for doing this with us, being yeah, our absolutely. first guest. You've been an inspiration to both of us. I know I can speak yeah. for George for that. And uh, you've been kind to us and helped us along the way. I really appreciate it. And I'm just, I'm glad that we're buddies and I'm glad we can do this. And we're definitely going to have you back for an episode two soon. Thank you. Uh, Stacy will tell you, I've been worried for weeks about this because I, <laughs> I didn't know how, uh, this has been a lot of fun, guys. And I, I think you all both know how much I love you all. And uh, it's important Man, to me, especially right back to you. in AA, they tell you, tell the people that you care about you tell them because you, you, you might drop dead tomorrow and uh so love you guys love you love too you, mammy we, we were talking before we actually hit record um the whole purpose that you know george and i decided to do this podcast is a lot of us local musicians we get to hang out in the bars and whoever you're in a band with those are your friends yeah and then you might know some other guys but you don't get to hang out mm-hmm. very often and yeah. every so often we cross paths and we get to chatting and I said, that's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, these are some stories that some people should know, you know. Exactly. And, oh, and yeah. a lot of these people that may just be somebody playing in a bar to the average Joe have done so much mm-hmm. that these people don't realize they've done. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. should they should know about the talent that's in this town. Mm-hmm. And we're just we're just glad to have you as the first one on here. You're you're a legend to us, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Thanks Greg. Thank you. Hey guys, that is the conclusion of our very first episode of Weekend Superstar with the legendary, the fabulous Mr. Greg Austin. Make sure and check us out on Facebook, Weekend Superstars with George Moulton and John McHugh. You can find this anywhere that you get podcasts. If you want to go to Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, you can find this recording. And uh, we hope you all had as much fun as we did. want to thank Greg again. See you all next time.